morning. Welcome to all of you here on this gorgeous day. Glad to see uh, new faces here today. Welcome those of you still watching at home. Glad you're here with us as well. We're continuing, concluding the series that we started seven Sundays ago, six weeks ago, titled Reconciled. So I want to wrap it all up here this morning. Reconciled. Let me say a few things. In Jesus, I've probably said this before, God is reconciling the world to himself. God is reconciling the world to himself. What do I mean by that? Jesus didn't, God didn't send Jesus just to save us from our sins. He, that's certainly important. But also to restore all of creation. Okay, Think about that. He didn't send Jesus just to restore us from our sins, forgive us of our sins, right? I'm born again. I'm, I'm heading in this direction. Now I'm heading in this direction. But to reconcile, to restore all of creation. Everything, not just me, not just you. And Jesus, now that he has all authority, that's what he said to his disciples, right? When he rose from the dead, the Great Commission. Now that he has all authority and he is reconciling, right? As the head of the church, reconciling all things to himself. Every aspect of our lives, if you're a Christ follower here today, as I am, every aspect of our lives should be under his control. Okay? If he has all authority and he's reconciling all things, my, even including my mind and my heart and my will, my emotions, okay, everything in my life should be under his control. That's what this is about, why we did this this morning and we bookended this series with baptisms. Because that's what baptism is. When people get baptized, some of you, most of you know this, some of you perhaps not, they're not becoming a Christian. You don't become a Christian through getting baptized, right? You become a Christian through personal trust and faith in the finished work of Jesus. These friends that did this today, they already made that decision somewhere in the very recent past to trust Christ as their Savior. What baptism is, and it's been all the way back to the time of Jesus, is an opportunity to say publicly, family, friends, etc., I am declaring by faith that Jesus is not just saving my soul, this little private thing that happened in my heart. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Every area of my life, I want to, I'm aspiring to, to be under his control. That's what baptism means. Now, from the, we did a baptism today, but we did one, uh, I think, five weeks ago. And one of the guys who was baptized then, young, a man just graduated from college named Adam Fogel, sent me this note just maybe a week or so ago. Pastor Rob, I just wanted to reach out and thank you for the baptism. I remember about 14 or 18 months ago, I was watching one of the services online before I had attended in person and seeing a baptism performed, I instantly knew that I wanted to have my own and God would put me on the path to make it happen. Here I am now to say I've experienced it and it was nothing like anything else. I truly felt I was rebirthed and I was a brand new person, okay? This is what it means to be baptized. This is what it means to be reconciled to God. Let me say something about this. What, I have, what, you, what we have in Jesus Christ, we started this series seven weeks ago, our, our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, is a new creation. Therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. What does that mean? Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. Here's what God did in the, let's call it the second creation. In the, he, he reversed the order. In the first creation, if you remember back, we did this in the fall of last year. And when God created the world, and he uses the word creation here to, to, to bring us back there, new creation, old creation. What God did there is he ended with 
the creation of men and women. He ended with mankind. In other words, he started with the stars and the sky and the lights in the sky and the flora and the fauna and the animal kingdom. And there's this great buildup in Genesis 1. He says, and then he said, let's make mankind in our image, male and female. He created them. They were the conclusion of everything that God had done. And everything that God had done from the sand on the seashore to the stars in the sky to the animal kingdom and men and women, he said, they're beautiful. It is good. It is well. It's perfect. Then sin came and destroyed it all. In the second creation, or the new creation, he starts with mankind and womankind. He comes in and torpedoes into the world, dies for our sins, and says, listen, now I'm going to start. I'm going to recreate Gary. I'm going to recreate Billy. I'm going to recreate Courtney. I'm going to start with you. And then, as you and I and me, and and the church becomes alive, one individual, one congregation, now I want you, reverse order, to join me in the renewal of all things. Let's go after the broken society. Let's go after the broken systems. Let's go after everything that's broken in our world so that until thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the gospel is. And we'll see that in this passage. We started this series seven Sundays ago anyway, six weeks ago, and I said this. It starts with reconciliation. starts with me and you and God. It's individual. Christ died and he reconciled us for our sins. All have been sinned and come short of the glory of God. Through the cross, individuals are reconciled with God. It starts with God. Then it goes on from God to people. We're not only called to be reconciled with people. I'm talking about people groups, whether we're talking about racism or classism or the brokenness of society, our neighbors. We're called to reconcile with people and even reconcile, we talked about this, with individual members of our family and our friends, right? Some of the deepest reconciliation needs to happen in your family, in your friends, in the small group that you live your life around. Broken relationships, the most hard relationships are the ones that are closest to us. That's not a new phenomenon. And many of us need to be reconciled. The the reason our lives are so gunked up, the reason there's so much layered frustration and anger and, and, and displaced frustration is not because of what happened yesterday. It's the unresolved relationships that we've left in the wake behind us. We've forgotten them, but they haven't forgotten us. Jesus says, listen, leave your gift at the altar, right? Leave your, stop in the parking lot and go and reconcile that relationship and then come back and worship me. Okay? It starts with God, it goes on to people. Then it's a ministry of reconciliation. We talked about this a couple weeks ago too. Then we are called as a church not only to go call people who are spiritually lost in winsome, loving ways, but also to reconcile parts of broken society through serving, right? But the last thing, it all comes to the message we're looking at this morning. It's the reconciliation. This is where it's headed of all things. So we're gonna end today. It starts with my heart and my family and the community in the lost community, but it's a reconciliation of all things. This is where it's all headed. Colossians 1, 15, and then 19 through 23, in a message titled, The Reconciliation of All Things. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Okay, the son is the firstborn of all creation. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace 
through his blood on the shed, shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that is in the gospel. And this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let me say this, right? It's bigger than you think, okay? It's bigger than you think. It's the reconciliation of all things. Just as human sin, think about this with me, just as human sin led to creation's fall, if you remember the story of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, human reconciliation leads to the renewal of all things. Think about it. Just as human sin, when Adam and Eve fell, when they were expelled from the garden, when sin tainted their heart, when they began, the clock started ticking for their ultimate physical death, right? At that moment, the world was a beautiful place. There was no pollution, right? In the Garden of Eden, think about it. There was no war, there was no oppression. There was no corruption. There was no pollution. But all of those things eventually followed the sin fallen humanity. And what he's saying is, listen, when God calls you and me back, he's also going to reconcile all of the world. Not my words, but the Bible's through him. He will reconcile to himself all things, whether in things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his shed blood on the cross. God will eventually remake the world and its power structures to reflect his glory, not human arrogance. And as the head of the church, I didn't read it, but verse 18 said Jesus is the head of the church. This is where Jesus is taking us, and we are supposed to be more than along for the ride, right? We are to be agents of reconciliation in any and every way. But let me say this. We cannot do it. We can't accomplish the job on our own. You might say, well, you know, Rob, it's really great to say that God is reconciling all things, not just individual hearts, not just lost men and women and children and, and people, but he's also recon reconciling a broken world. And he's called us in. Well, apparently, if that's God's been doing that for 2,000 years, he's not been doing a very good job, or we've not been doing a very good job, because the world remains a very broken place, right? Every generation has to get on the saddle and join the, this work themselves. And I would agree with you, the world remains a very broken place, but what the Bible says is the job cannot truly be completed until the second coming. We can't do this on our own. We can't complete this on our own. The second coming will happen, but it's not an excuse. We are supposed to be a vision of what can be in very small and medium and sometimes big ways in our personal lives, in the way that we do our work, in the way that we do our marriages, in the way that we engage a broken society, we're supposed to be. We are, this is, we're supposed to be, in a manner of speaking, a trailer of the life that's to come, okay? This is what Jesus meant, by the way, when he spoke to the church in that humble sermon on the mountain. He said, listen, to this very humble group of people, who none of them went to you know, seminary or Harvard. They were just these fishermen. He said, listen to them. You are the light of the world. 
Now, that was spoken aspiration, but that's what he meant. You are the light of the world. Yes, the world's dark. Yes, the world's broken. Yes, there's corruption. Yes, there's difficulty. Yes, the waters are polluted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you, you little humble group of people, on this, you know, uh, you know the, the church shall be a city on a hill, and through you, you are going to show the world. Okay? Show the world. In the way you live your life, in the way you exercise compassion, in the way you exercise your marriage, in the way you be a good neighbor, you are going to show the world the light of the world. You're going to show the world where this is all going. Okay? The reconciliation of all things. Think about the miracles of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus, I may have said this before, were not a suspension of reality. Wow! That man, uh, the, the, the lame man walked and the blind man saw, right? And they walked down. They were not a suspension of reality. They were a restoration of reality. Because back in the kingdom, the way God designed things, there was no disease. There was no sickness. There were not those kinds of limitations. And the miracles of Jesus were a pointer to the world that was and a pointer to the world that will be. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be in its small and individual expressions in your life and in my life. Look where this is all headed. Revelation chapter 21, verses one through four. Listen carefully. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is what he's talking about when he says, Jesus Christ was sent not into the world, not just to save us from our sins, but to renew all of the world. Through him, he's reconciling all things. All things. Flora, fauna, everything, okay? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I think by that it means division between. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. We just sang about that. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, for the old order of things was done away, right? Stand up on your feet, right? You know, feed the hungry, heal the sick, the old order order of things is passed away. And by the way, when he says a new heaven and a new earth, I think what he's saying is not, I'm going to completely wipe the other one out, right? It's renewed heaven. It's a renewed earth, just like I am a new creature in Christ. It's the renewal of all things. It's the renovation of all things. Think about this. Uh, People say to me, pastor, why don't you preach on heaven more? I've heard that a lot in my ministry. You know, let me tell you why I, I probably could and should. But let me tell you why I don't preach a lot on heaven, because there's not a lot in the Bible about heaven. Because we have tended to think in our, I don't know how we became, this became popular, a theology, that heaven is this place. And it's, what is heaven like? It's everything unlike where we live now. And it's as far away as you can imagine. And maybe it's cloud surfing, and maybe it's streets of gold. Heaven is not here. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Heaven is not I hate to break your, uh, your categories, is not a fixed destination like you're going to uh, you know, uh, uh, Hawaii or you're going to the moon. It's not a fixed destination. Heaven basically is where God is. In Revelation chapter 21, at the end of time when all things are reconciled, guess what? Heaven, I just read it, comes down to earth. And heaven and earth are now one and there's no more sea, there's no more division. 
And God says, listen, I've always been aimed here. That's why the church, that's why God doesn't take you the day after you become a Christian and say, get me out of this mess, this broken world. No, you got work to do. Thy kingdom come, thy will eventually be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not, it's far bigger than you think. Second, it's a mission of hope. It's a mission of hope. I said this before, you've heard other people say this, uh, preachers, teachers. Uh, it's very true that the church doesn't have a mission, like we have a missions trip or a missions budget. The church doesn't have a mission from the New Testament. The church is a mission. This is the way Jesus set it up. In other words, that's the whole purpose of the church, right? Jesus rose from the dead. All authority has been given to me. Now go, right? That's the, the, the great commission. Get out of this place and go into the highways and the byways and not only tell people about me, but roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place. The church is a mission. To quote N.T. Wright, if we want a mission-shaped church, we need a hope-shaped mission. If we want a mission-shaped church, we need a hope-shaped mission. It mean, what does that mean, hope-shaped mission? It means that you and I, in our small ways, medium ways, we transform the present with our because of our understanding of the future. We look into this beautiful vision we just read in Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22. We say, I know where this is headed. I know where this is going. I know where I'm going. And as a result of that, I'm going to find currency. I'm gonna find energy. I'm gonna find motivation from the future hope. And I'm gonna bring it into my life today. So yes, I don't see people as broken. I don't see people as hopeless totally. I don't see the world as this, you know, not worth saving, going in the wrong direction on a highway to hell. I don't see it that way because I see where God is doing and I can be encouraged by this vision and I can bring it to you, right? It's a hope-shaped mission. We're not, like Jesus, we're not supposed to see people simply as people existing in a broken world, but to see people for who we know they will become in the next world. Think about that. The reason I don't do more for my neighbor, friend, and, and, and community is because in my heart of hearts, I say, there's no hope. You don't know my, my cousin. You don't know my brother. You don't know my neighbor. You don't know how incredibly corrupt this office is, this system is. You don't get it. Because I see only through the lens of the broken world. But see, Jesus saw people, not simply as members of a broken world, but he saw them through the lens of the next one. You're called Abraham, the old guy with no gas that couldn't have a kid if it was, you know, under any circumstances. But I'm going to call you Abraham, which means father of many nations, and let them laugh because I'll get the last laugh. Out of you will come a whole nation. People call you Simon, who is another, or another way of saying self-serving, impetuous, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, all about yourself. But I'm going to call you Peter, the opposite of, 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 of inconsistency, the opposite of, you know, of, of impulsiveness. You're going to be Peter, which means rock, and on your back I'm going to build the church of Jesus Christ. Watch me do it. Because I see you not for who you are in light of the broken world. I see you for who you are going to become. That's what God has called us to do as followers of the church. But listen, guys, here's the point. It's a hope-shaped mission. It has to begin with each of us. It has to begin with each of us. If, if God isn't transforming you, don't raise your hand, 
If God isn't transformed, Matt's laughing, so I'll take that as a hand raise. No. If God isn't transforming you, why would you believe that he's going to transform anybody else? That's the point, right? Sometimes we're Christians with a great message, but the message isn't reflected in the way we live our lives. It's a hope-shaped mission, but it has to begin with us, right? This is what Paul says in these verses. He, it, this, is, this is the interesting nature of the, of, the, of, of the nature of salvation. It's sort of, it's true, but it's, it's true in principle, but it's, 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 it's progressive in practice. But now he has reconciled you, past tense, title of the series, by Christ's physical body through death. Now watch this. He shifts tense to present you, future, as holy in his sight, without blemish and free and accusation. Let me tell you something about your pastor. You probably know this. I'm not blemish free. I'm not accusation-free, even though I've been in this game for almost 40 years, right? I'm not. And in Jesus, in some sense, my sins have been forgiven forever and ever, but I'm also a work in progress. If you continue in your faith, verse 23, established and firm and do not move, out, move out from the hope held out to you in the gospel, right? What Jesus did on the cross needs to be worked out in our everyday lives. We need, to hold, it's a, we, we need to hold out for that hope. We need to get after that hope. The reason many of us are not act, more actively engaged, think about this, in the, in the ministry of reconciliation, whether that's winsomely sharing your faith with friends, neighbors, work people, the reason some of us are not more actively engaged in winsomely sharing our faith or making the world a better place in Jesus' name, right? Whatever that might be. What, the reason we're not doing more of that is not because there's not great opportunity, right? I mean, if the church was a business and we looked at marketing only, in other words, the church is in the business of fixing broken things and broken people, oh my goodness, it's a boom economy, right? There is so much need. So if I'm not in the game of helping lost, spiritually lost people find Christ in some way, in a winsome way, or fixing broken parts of our society in Jesus' name, it's not because of a lack of opportunity. You don't, you're going to find that on your way home today. It's because of a lack of commitment and a lack of preparation because we've lost our motivation. We're reading too much of the newspaper and not the word of God. We're looking at this world and not at the next one, and we're not, and we're not getting out of our own way, right? It's a hope-shaped mission. You know, the church, sadly, for many people, and maybe people like me, and John Amayo, another professional minister, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe we're the problem, John, in the sense of we've, we've, got, we, we, we've turned the church into, like what every other business is, a consumer products game, right? We, we somehow, in, in our desire to want to make this a great experience, we've, we've, we've helped you think that if it's a good sermon and good music and a great family ministry program, whatever, then we're serving your needs, and you've become a consumer, Right? And as long as the preaching's not flat and the music's not too loud and, and the usher's not grumpy, you're happy. But let's see, that's not what the church of Jesus Christ is at all. Oh my goodness. It's about, listen, Jesus says, listen, I want to I take care of your sin problem first because you can't even get out of your chair until I unburden the, the, the shackles of, of your own sin. That's the forgiveness of Jesus. Verse 22, Christ reconciled you through his physical body. He forgave your sin. He stood, took a bullet for you. Now, Put on your backpack. 
put on your helmet and let's go change the world. That's what electrifies people. That's the hope-shaped gospel. And that's how we are the light of the world, by showing that to other people. I mentioned this last Sunday, if you were here. I read a little bit from a note from a guy who I got to know only through correspondence, who's in a local prison, got to know our church. Deb, my assistant, got to send him some. um, He can't even listen to the sermons, but he can do the, the sermon guides. This is what he said in his note. I, I didn't read this part last week. The transformation that Christ has performed on my thinking. His name is Chris. He's in a local prison in New York State. The transformation that Christ has performed in my thinking, priorities and actions, is profound. And when I look back to the old me, before I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I now possess a template to live by, and the more I apply it to my life, the deeper my faith in Jesus becomes. The blessings from knowing and glorifying God through Jesus are progressive. Every day I have an opportunity to grow and serve a little more. I'm thinking, wow, this guy go to seminary? Oh my goodness. The blessings from knowing and glorifying God through Jesus are progressive. Every day I have the opportunity to grow and serve a little bit more. It's a hope-shaped mission. You have to hold on to hope. That's an active thing you have to do because your natural inclination, my natural inclination is to put my head down, to bury it into the news cycle, to bury it into the, own, the, the weaknesses of my own heart and say, what's the point? I'm just gonna white knuckle my way through until this is over. And God says, listen, wake up. I am with you. We just sang about it. And there's an amazing world coming. And what ultimately the gospel is, my last point, it's, a, it's about, what is reconciliation? All thing? It's about proclaiming the gospel. But listen very carefully, we're almost done. What is the gospel? What I'm saying to you today is maybe you haven't fully understood the gospel in its full complexity or its full beauty. The gospel is not a ticket to heaven. In fact, heaven, I'm not even sure, is a place the way that we often thought it was. Okay, the gospel is not a ticket to heaven. Listen, the gospel is not a, a, um, a, 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 an exit out of this broken world because it's all coming back here. If you don't like this world, you're not gonna like Jesus because this is where it's all headed in the end. It's gonna be renewed. New heaven, new earth. Heaven comes down, it's right here. It's meals and, and, and music and, and people and gathering. It's, it's, it's what you saw when Jesus rose from the dead. It's coming here. Okay, it's coming here. But the gospel is not simply a ticket out of this life. We are to invite people out of a broken life into a full one that's being renewed by their creator day in and day out. So yes, I want to say to my friends, if you're so angry and so and, and, so much, and so much frustration and bitterness and animosity and, and all the things that fe- sin feels like in our lives, God does want it. It begins with he- healing your heart and he- experiencing the forgiveness of, forgiveness of sins. That's where it begins. But the gospel isn't simply erasing the chalkboard of my heart. It's writing a new script on that heart that says, now you and I, you will become a part and parcel, a, a soldier in the work that God is doing to reconcile the world. This is what we're supposed to be inviting people into. Listen to what my friend says, same guy, same note. A few months back from, Lo- uh, uh, from Long Island, a few months back, I'm sorry, a guy from Long Island moved into my dorm. Talking about the prison. 
He had been to prison multiple times as a result of his crack addiction. Jesus teaches us to love our neighbor. And to me, my neighbor is someone who needs a neighbor. So watch this. I walk with him, work out with him, and tell him the miracles that Jesus is, present tense, performing in my life. What is evangelism? What is the gospel? I walk with him. I work out with him. It's only two things you can do in prison. And along the way, I tell him about the miracles Jesus has done in my life. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? It's a, 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 a mission-shaped church, church has a hope-shaped mission. That's you and that's me. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. You know why more people aren't in church? Because we haven't been preaching the full gospel, right? It's not just the forgiveness of your sins. That's amazing in itself. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's revolutionary. But that's just, that's, just the, that's just the thing that lets you out of the jail cell. My goodness, now you can go get an apartment. You can buy a car. You can go get a job. You can go serve the world, okay? This is what he's called us into, the reconciliation of all things, right? The reconciliation of all things. Yesterday, I, I participated with, I don't know, however many of us were, four teams, I guess, Flower City Work Camp Weekend Edition, and as some of you know that, it's just a gathering. It's, it's, it's Flower City Work Camp. For those of you who know Flower City Work Camp, this is my team. For those of you who know it, and some of you don't, so it's okay if you don't, but it's a, it's, it's a long tradition, 35-plus years of, you know, 800,000 students and maybe the same adults, and they, it's all over the city, intra-church, and they spend a week, or the better part of a week, um, rehabbing homes and doing sports ministry and loving the city for Jesus, okay? That's what they're doing. It's been a long time. But... In the pandemic, we made some lemonade, right? And the lemonade we made, thanks to Mickey Pitts and others, was to um, create a one-day experience where you don't need to be, um, you know, a professional because they have the professional rovers. And you just show up, as we did, this was my team, and you serve, instead of for three or four days, you serve for three to six hours, okay? It's an amazing ministry, and you all need to be a part of it it's coming, it's not going away, it's gonna overtake Flower City Work Camp, I think, okay? Now, but let me tell you why I end with this, this picture. This is my team, and I loved it, it was a great experience. But as I thought about this and I looked at this picture, I thought something's missing in this picture. And you know what's missing in this picture? A neighbor or a non-Christian friend that could have come with me in this picture. Because see, I have many neighbors and non-Christian friends and family members who aren't ready for what's happening here. It's not that we're doing a bad job. I think we do a pretty good job here. But good night, you know, hallelujah this and baptism that and some crazy preacher. I'm not ready for that. I didn't grow up in that. This seems really strange to me. I don't get it. Not ready for that. But see, the gospel isn't this, this one little piece of the forgiveness of your sins. It's the renewal of all things, right? The gospel, so I can invite people into, I can work with them, I can work out with them, and I can tell them what Jesus has done in my life along the way. Okay? Things like this, Flower City Work Camp Weekend Edition, other things, they're opportunities for us to do our best evangelism, to bring along people. Say, I, I probably have, you know, I'm just making this up, but 50 friends who say, Rob, I love you, we've been friends for a long time, but church isn't my cup of tea, right, for Easter Sunday. Okay. They'd come to that. 
if I asked him to, okay? Because this, this, is, this is something that's more native to them and more natural to them. I work with them, I work out with them, and I tell them about Jesus along the way. This is how we change the world. This is the gospel. This is what it means to be reconciled. Oh my goodness. The fact that I know Christ is my savior, that he forgave a sinner like this, right? I know that my redeemer lives. It's amazing that God saved someone like me. But that was just, and that, that, that would be enough. If I died the next day, it would almost be enough that God saved me. But that was the end of the beginning. Now God says, yes, this world is still raining hail. Yes, it's broken and corrupt. Yes, people are straining at the edges of, of life and they're angry at themselves. But put your helmet on, put your flak jacket on, and let's go out there and make the world a better place. Because ultimately, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this time. We love you. We need you. I thank you for these two, four friends that were baptized today. What a, what a joy, uh, Lord. What a, what a, they're brand new people in a manner of speaking. That is to say, they've been a, they have a new lease on life. And that life is the life of Jesus. And I pray that you would work in them. And for those of us in this room who have been baptized, help us to dust off our memories. <laughs> help us to renew our commitment. And find again, if we lost it, our joy. The joy of knowing you and serving with you in this star, hope-starved world. May we be a mission-shaped church with a hope-shaped mission. In Jesus' name, amen.